Good morning, Westside. It's great to um, be with you, uh, especially online today. If you're visiting with us, make sure you uh, um, click on that connect um, button. We'd love to connect with you and be able to reach out to you as well. But hopefully one day we'll be able to see you live and in person. As we begin today, uh, how many of you guys remember uh, the old game, uh, Whack-A-Mole? Has anybody ever played the game Whack-A-Mole? Well, in Whack-A-Mole, these moles pop up out of these holes, and you take this kind of hammer, and you try to smack them down. You try to beat them down as they pop up out of these holes. But the problem is, as soon as you whack one, another one comes up in another area, and then another one, then another one. And then you slam that one down, and then again, another one just pops up. And they just keep popping up faster and faster and faster. And you keep slamming them faster and faster and faster. I I just always believed that that game was of the devil, but I'm not sure. It's just because I couldn't, I could never do it. I mean, I would just get frustrated, and then I'd just kind of walk away. Now, whack-a-mole, I think, is a lot like life. Because just about the time you've got one problem whacked down, Another one just kind of pops up. And then you whack that one down and another one pops up. It just feels like a never-ending cycle with no way to win. You ever felt that way? In fact, let's take a little survey. Which of these things would you say keeps popping up in your life? Stress, fears, overwork, addictions, Regrets, worry, bad habits, anger, dishonesty, the need to control. Maybe it's painful memories or resentment. Do those things ever just keep popping up and just about the time you get one knocked down, another one comes into your life? Now, let me tell you, this is not only true of our problems and circumstances of life, but it's also true with the sins and temptations of life. Because just about the time you think you have won victory in one area over one weakness, all of a sudden another sin pops up or another temptation begins to take you out. Now let me tell you, you can read all the self-help books you want. You can listen to all the talk show gurus you want until you are blue in the face, but they can never do what God through his word and through his spirit, can do for you. All those other things, let me tell you, they will only teach you how to whack faster. But God's word will teach us how to deal with the problems and how to get a handle on sin and how to unplug sin's power from our lives so that we can begin to plug into the true source of power, which is our God. That's why I'm excited about today, because we are going to begin a new series called Hope for the Broken. You see, the reality of life is this. We all struggle with stress and fear and worry and anxiety and overwork and addictions and sin, right? And not dealing with them in the right way has the potential of just taking us down a road that leads to a very dark place. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you are there now. And so over the next few weeks, I want to give you some hope. 
I want to give you some things that can help us to begin to begin to find hope. The hope that we need that's going to lead us not down a dark path, but lead us to a path that's lit by the light of Jesus. Let's pray and we'll dive in. Father, thank you so much for this day. And thank you for all you do, man. I just love you, God, so much. And I can't thank you for all the things you were doing in our life. Be with us right now, God. Begin to bring hope to those who may feel hopeless. It's in your name we pray. Amen. I want to begin today by focusing on our mind. Focusing on our mind. I don't know if you've thought a lot about your mind, but I want to focus on that for just a moment. Because I don't know about you, but I've noticed that my mind doesn't always mind. You ever been there? Is that kind of how a lot of us are? Our minds just don't mind. In fact, a lot of times my mind does what it wants to do, or it's somewhere else off on its own little journey. You know, Paul talks about this in, in Romans chapter 7 and verse 15. He basically says this. Let me paraphrase it. He says, I don't understand myself because I, I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do the wrong thing or that thing I hate. All the things that I want to do, I end up not doing. And all the things I don't want to do that I know are wrong, I end up doing. Again, have you ever been there? Because I know I have. In fact, at times, I find myself living in that world. And maybe you do as well. Now, let me ask you. How many of you remember the phrase that came from the old TV commercial, the mind is a terrible thing to waste? You remember that? The mind is a terrible thing to waste. The reality is our minds control a lot of what we think, a lot of what we do, and because of that, it controls what we become. Maybe that's why Jesus stressed in that great commandment that we've looked at in our last series. Jesus stressed that we are to love the Lord our God with what? All of our heart, all of our soul, also all of our mind. So what do we do? Well, there's a great verse in Romans chapter 12, verse 2 that I want to use as a foundational verse for today. Paul writes this, Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Changing the way you think. The NIV version puts it this way, by renewing your mind. Let me sum up what I want to say today in one sentence. It's this. God is far more interested in changing the way you think about your circumstances than he is in changing your circumstances. Did you get that? God is far more interested in changing the way you think about your circumstances than he is in changing your circumstances. Why? Because he knows that your circumstances will never change until your mind is renewed, until you are transformed, until you change the way you think. So as we begin, let me give you a couple of reasons why it's important that we learn to change the way we think. The first is this, because our thoughts control our life. 
Our thoughts control our life. I mean, our thoughts are one of the most powerful and useful abilities that we possess. They can bring about success or failure, happiness or unhappiness, being well-adjusted or antisocial, loving and welcoming, or hateful and violent. You see, our thoughts greatly affect our reality. In fact, every single action always begins as a thought. If you think it, you'll probably do it. Here's what we have to understand about our thoughts. First is this, our thoughts have the power to change our present and future for good as well as for bad. In Proverbs chapter 4, verse 20, in verse 23, look what it says. Be careful how you think. Your life is shaped by your thoughts. Be careful how you think. Your life is shaped by your thoughts. Here's what that says to me. What it says to me is this, don't believe everything you think. Don't believe everything you think. Here's why I say that. Because there are maybe some of you here today who have struggled for years accepting the fact that you have value and that you have worth because growing up, somebody said that you were worthless or that you were no good or that you didn't matter or that you won't amount to anything, or that you're fat, ugly, uncoordinated, or whatever. And they planted that thought in your mind, and it became truth to you. And because you believed it as truth, then it began over time to shape who you are. And so you've lived in a state of brokenness because you chose to believe a lie. Proverbs 23.7 says, For as he thinks in his heart, so he is. For as he thinks in his heart, so he is. You see, the heart is the foundation of our thoughts, of our passions, desires, appetites, affections, purposes, and endeavors. It's the door of our thoughts. It's where our values and standards are stored that control what we think. But second of all, our thoughts are also a battlefield that decides whether good or evil prevails in our life. And we're going to talk about that more in just a moment. And then thirdly, our thoughts will either keep us focusing on our brokenness or they will put us on a path of healing. You see, we have an amazing ability to lie to ourselves. Did you know that? We have this amazing ability to lie to ourselves, and we do it all the time. I mean, we tell ourselves that things aren't as bad as they really are, or that things are better than they really are. We tell ourselves that we're doing okay when we're not doing okay. Or we tell ourselves that sin is not a big deal when sin is a big deal. In fact, the Bible tells us that we can't be trusted to tell ourselves the truth. That's why we can't believe everything we think. Just because you get a thought doesn't mean it's correct. The Bible says Satan is the father of lies. If he can get you to believe the lies about you, he can get you to sin. And you will stay broken. Never forget, we are the doorkeepers of our hearts. And every thought that stays in will either set us free or it will keep us chained to brokenness. 
and the choice of which one has control is up to us. It's up to us. Now, the second reason why it's important that we learn to change the way we think is simply this. It's because the mind is the battleground for sin. I told you we'd come back to that. The mind is a battleground for sin. You see, whether you realize it or not, there's a battle going on in your life 24-7. And it's the battle for your mind. And it's intense, it's unrelenting, and it's unfair because Satan never fights fair. And the reason why it's so intense is because your greatest asset is your mind. Let me tell you, over the last 40 years of ministry, I've watched people struggle because they were not able to hear God because their mind was all over the place. As we've said, whatever gets your mind gets you. That's why one of the most important things we can do is to learn how to protect and how to strengthen and how to renew our minds because the battle against sin and its effect on our lives is won and lost on this battlefield. In Romans chapter 7, Paul explains this battle for the mind. Look what he says on down in verses 22 and 23. He says, I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Wow. Now look what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. I love this passage. Look what it says. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Now, I want you to remember that word. You might underline it, strongholds. We demolish arguments, underline that, and every pretension, underline that, that it sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Now, as I read that passage in 2 Corinthians there were three things that immediately jumped out at me. First is this. It's the phrase, we live in the world. We live in the world. In other words, we can't run away from the battles of life. We can't seek a shelter where we just live out the rest of our lives without encountering the difficulties and the circumstances around us. Why? Because Paul says, we live in the world, and that's our reality, and we've got to understand that. That's our reality, we live in the world. Second of all, though, this is what jumped out at me. Even though we live in the world, the cool thing is this. We don't fight our battles like the world does. We don't fight with worldly armor or guns or politics or wealth or with all the humanistic philosophies of the day. We fight from another dimension. We fight with the power of God. Paul put it this way in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 12. Look what he said. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his great power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can fight against the devil's evil schemes. Our fight is not against people on earth, but against the rulers and authorities and the powers in this world's darkness, of this world's darkness, against the spiritual powers of evil 
in the heavenly world. Now, let me tell you, because of that, we have to understand that our fighting is not weak. It is not weak. Our fighting is powerful. Our fighting wins. It succeeds. It's mighty because it is fought in the very power of God. But the third thing that jumped out out at me was this. Our job through the power of God in his armor is to tear down, to demolish the strongholds and the arguments of our enemy. Now, one of the main rules of battle is this. It's to know the enemy. You can never be successful as a soldier if you don't know the strategies, excuse me, the strategies of the enemy. This is true in the military, and this is also true with spiritual warfare. I love what A.W. Tozer once said. He said, the vast majority of Christians believe that the world is a playground instead of a battleground. Now, the Greek word for stronghold simply means a fortress or a castle. It's basically described this way. It's a place where Satan can have a free reign in my life. It's an area that he has gained control of because at some point in my past, I have surrendered that part of my life to him. That's a stronghold. It's that place Satan lives and he has control of us because at some point we've surrendered that part of our life. You see, a stronghold can be anything from a worldview. It can be personal attitudes. It can be believing the lies of the enemy over the truth of God or just a multitude of things such as fear and resentment and bitterness and apathy and unbelief and anxiety, envy, depression, lust, pride, greed, pornography, immorality, and literally the list can go on and on. And each one of these exists for the sole purpose of taking us out in our walk with Jesus. That's why, we must, they, that's why they must be destroyed. That's why we must take down these strongholds. The second thing he mentioned was arguments and pretensions. Arguments refer to reasonings, and, the, and pretension refers to every proud or high thing which exalts itself against the knowledge, against the truth of God. Martin Luther once said, and I really like this, he said, the devil throws hideous thoughts into the soul. Hatred of God, blasphemy, and despair. When I wake at night, the devil tarries not to seek me out, He disputes with me and and makes me give birth to all kinds of strange thoughts. The devil understands how to produce arguments that exasperate me. You ever been there? Sometimes he has produced such as to make me doubt whether or not there is a God. Now in that passage in 2 Corinthians, Paul goes on to say, we are to take captive these thoughts. We are to take them captive, to make them obedient to Jesus. You see, to take captive simply means to control or to conquer or to bring in to submission. Paul says that we are to take these strategies, these strongholds and these arguments and these pretensions of the enemy, we are to take them captive so that they will submit to and come under the authority of Jesus. Never forget, 
Satan won't just leave you alone because you become a Christian. In fact, you have, you have a lot bigger bullseye on you once you do. He will attack you from the strongholds that have been built up over the years and the ones that continue to be built up in your mind. Satan wants to continually penetrate your thoughts with his thoughts to reinforce the lies he wants you to believe so that the truth of God's word will get distorted. Satan knows that if he can control your thoughts, guess what? He can control your life. So let's go back for just a moment before we close to our foundational verse for the day. And I want us to see how we can begin to change the way we think. Again, Paul wrote in Romans 12 too, don't copy, in other words, don't conform to the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think or by renewing your mind. Now, the word transform in the Greek is the word metamorphosis. It means to change the, es the essential nature of something. It's changing at the very core of who we are. It's that picture of a caterpillar that goes into the cocoon and, and comes out a beautiful butterfly. That's transformation. That's metamorphosis. Understand the transformation process can only happen as we allow God to begin to change the way we think. And so how do we do that? Well, let me just give you a few things and then we'll be done. The first is this. It begins by daily surrendering your life to Jesus. I mean, that's the beginning point right there. It begins by daily surrendering to Jesus and coming under his authority and allowing him that, that opportunity to change you. Paul said back in verse 1, actually, of Romans 12, look what he said. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Somebody once said that this verse paraphrase would sound something like this. And I like this. Take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and daily place it before God as an offering. You see, it begins by surrendering on a daily basis to who God is. Next, we have to put ourselves in the right place to be transformed. We have to put ourselves in the right place to be transformed. All throughout the Bible, those who were the closest to God had places where they could put themselves where God could move in their lives. I love this verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. Look what it says. Our faces, then, are not covered. We all show the Lord's glory, and we are being changed to be like him. This change in us brings ever greater glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Now, in this verse, Paul is taking the people in Corinth, as well as us, back to the days when Moses would go up on Mount Sinai, where he would meet with God, and God would transform him. 
And each time he met with God, he would be changed. He would be transformed and he would glow from being in the very presence of God. But when Moses would come off the mountain, he would wear a veil over his face because it covered the fading glory of God. Because once he left the very presence of God, the glory of God would begin to fade with each and every step that he took. And what Paul is saying to us is this, we don't wear a veil. We don't have to wear a veil. Why? Because the Lord's glory is not supposed to fade. It's not supposed to fade. In fact, it's supposed to increase as God transforms us more into the image of Jesus. You see, our glory doesn't fade because we never leave the presence of God because the presence of God is in us. Here, spirit resides within us, and we have his presence. And so we have to put ourselves in a place to be transformed. But then we need to ask God to search and to test our thought life. I think we need to do what David did when he asked God to search his life. Look what David wrote in Psalm 139 in verses 23 and 24. I love this. He says, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Asking God to search and to test your thoughts, you know what that does? It shows God that you're ready to be transformed. It shows God that you're ready to be transformed because now you're honest with God and you're, you're just saying, God, here I am. Here I am. Search me, God. Test me. Show me. I want to know. Show me what needs to change so that I can be transformed more into your image. And then lastly, we've got to focus on Jesus. You want to be transformed, you want your thought life renewed, then you focus on Jesus. The old saying is still true. You become what you think about the most. You become what you think about the most. And so if you want to become more like the world, then focus your thoughts on the world. But if you want to become more like Jesus, then you start focusing on him. You start focusing on him. And once you do, you will begin the process of transformation. And you will become more like the one who died to give you life. Let's reflect. Here's the thing. When you begin to focus on what God has in store for you, you will begin to see that all of your problems don't compare to the glory, the joy, the pleasure, the excitement, and the healing that we have to look forward to. Because of Jesus, because of Jesus. Now, I hope this helps in some way to begin that process of giving you hope. But we've got to remember that so much of who we are and what we are starts right here in our minds. And if we can learn to change the way we think, change who we focus and what we focus on, 
it will give us hope and it will help us to change those circumstances and those problems and begin to see them in a whole new light. I don't know where you're at today. I don't know what you're struggling with. But let me tell you this. If you just need someone to pray with you, hit that connect link. I would love to connect with you. And I would love to pray with you. If you've never surrendered to Jesus, that's your starting point right there. Because I guarantee you, you're never going to have real hope until you surrender your life to Christ. And you give it to him. But once you do, you'll begin the process of not only transformation, but of experiencing hope. So whatever you need today, please reach out. Let me tell you, it's tough being away from you and having so many of you still who have not come back yet. I want you to know you're, you're just as much a part of what we do as anybody, and we love you, and we care for you, and we want to help you, so please reach out. Pray with me. Father, thank you for all you do. Thank you for the hope that we have, because the truth of life is this. Every single one of us are broken, and we need you. We need you, God. It's in your name we pray. Amen.